0: Chapter Eleven of Queechee by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen. Chapter Eleven A Little Candle. Stars are poor books, and oftentimes do miss. This book of stars lights to eternal bliss. George Herber. The voyage across the Atlantic was not, in itself, at all notable. The first half of the passage was extremely unquiet, and most of the passengers uncomfortable to match. Then the weather cleared, and the rest of the way, though lengthened out a good deal by the tricks of the wind, was very fair and pleasant. Fifteen days of tossing and sea-sickness had brought little Fleda to look like the ghost of herself. So soon as the weather changed, and sky and sea were looking gentle again, mr carleton had a mattress and cushions laid in a sheltered corner of the deck for her and carried her up she had hardly any more strength than a baby what are you looking at me so for mr carleton said she a little while after he had carried her up with a sweet serious smile that seemed to know the answer to her question he stooped down and clasped her little thin hand as reverentially as if she really had not belonged to the earth you are more like a sprite than i like to see you just now said he unconsciously fastening the child's heart to himself with the magnetism of those deep eyes i must get some of the sailors salt beef and sea biscuit for you they say that is the best thing to make people well oh i feel better already said fleda and settling her little face upon the cushion and closing her eyes she added thank you mr carleton the fresh air began to restore her immediately she was no more sick her appetite came back and from that time without the help of beef and sea biscuit she mended rapidly mr carleton proved himself as good a nurse on the sea as on land she seemed to be never far from his thoughts he was constantly finding out something That would do her good or please her. And Fleda could not discover that he took any trouble about it. She could not feel that she was a burden to him. The thing seemed to come as a matter of course. Mrs. Carleton was not wanting in any show of kindness or care. And yet, when Fleda looked back upon the day, it somehow was Guy that had done everything for her. She thought little of thanking anybody but him there were other passengers that petted her a great deal or would have done so if fleda's very timid retiring nature had not stood in the way she was never bashful nor awkward but yet it was only a very peculiar sympathetic style of address that could get within the wall of reserve which in general hid her from other people hid what it could for through that reserve a singular modesty sweetness and gracefulness of spirit would show themselves, but there was much more behind. There were no eyes, however, on board that did not look kindly on little Fleda, excepting only two pair. The captain showed her a great deal of flattering attention, and said she was a pattern of a passenger. Even the sailors noticed and spoke of her, and let slip no occasion of showing the respect and interest she had raised. But there were two pair of eyes, and one of them Fleda thought most remarkably ugly, that were an exception to the rest. These belonged to her cousin Rossiter and Lieutenant Thorne. Rossiter had never forgiven her remarks upon his character as a gentleman, and declared preference of Mr. Carleton in that capacity, and Thorne was mortified at the invincible childish reserve which she opposed to all his advances, and both absurd as it seems were jealous of the young englishman's advantage over them both not the less because their sole reason for making her a person of consequence was that he thought fit to do so fleda would permit neither of them to do anything for her that she could help they took their revenge in raillery which was not always good-natured mr carleton never answered it in any other way than by his look of cold disdain not always by that little fleda could not be quite so unmoved many a time her nice sense of delicacy confessed itself hurt by the deep and abiding colour her cheeks would wear after one of their ill-mannered flings at her she bore them with a grave dignity peculiar to herself but the same nice delicacy forbade her to mention the subject to any one and the young gentleman contrived to give the little child in the course of the voyage a good deal of pain she shunned them at last as she would the plague as to the rest fleda liked her life on board ship amazingly in her quiet way she took all the good that offered and seemed not to recognize the ill mr carleton had bought her a copy of the rape of the lock and bryant's poems with these sitting or lying among her cushions Fletta amused herself a great deal, and it was an especial pleasure when he would sit down by her and read and talk about them. Still a greater was to watch the sea, in its changes of colour and varieties of agitation, and to get from Mr. Carlton, bit by bit, all the pieces of knowledge concerning it that he had ever made his own. Even when Fletta feared it she was fascinated, and while the fear went off, the fascination grew deeper. Daintily nestling among her cushions, she watched with charmed eyes the long rollers that came up in detachments of three to attack the good ship, that, like a slandered character, rode patiently over them, or the crested green billows, or sometimes the little rippling waves that showed old Ocean's placidest face. While with ears as charmed as if he had been delivering a fairy tale, she listened To all Mr. Carleton could tell her of the green water where the whales feed, or the blue water where Neptune sits in his own solitude, the furthest from the land, and the pavement under his feet outdoes the very canopy overhead in its deep colouring, of the transparent seas where the curious mysterious marine plants and animals may be clearly seen many feet down, and in the north where hundreds of feet of depth do not hide the bottom. Of the icebergs and whirling great fields of ice between which if a ship gets she had as good being an almond in a pair of strong nutcrackers how the water grows colder and murkier as it is nearer the shore how the mountain waves are piled together and how old ocean like a wise man however roughened and tumbled outwardly by the currents of life is always calm at heart of the signs of the weather the outriders of the winds and the use the seamen makes of the tidings they bring and before mr carleton knew where he was he found himself deep in the science of navigation and making a stargazer of little fleda sometimes kneeling beside him as he sat on her mattress with her hand leaning on his shoulder fleda asked listened and looked as engaged as rapt as interested as any other child would be in robinson crusoe gravely drinking in knowledge with a fresh healthy taste for it that never had enough mr carleton was about as amused and as interested as she there is a second taste of knowledge that some minds get in imparting it almost as sweet as the first relish at any rate fleda never felt that she had any reason to fear tiring him and his mother complaining of his want of sociableness said she believed guy did not like to talk to anybody but that little pet of his and one or two of the old sailors if left to her own resources fleda was never at a loss she amused herself with her books or watching the sailors or watching the sea or with some fanciful manufacture she had learned from one of the ladies on board or with what the company about her were saying and doing one evening she had been some time alone looking out upon the restless little waves that were tossing and tumbling in every direction she had been afraid of them at first and they were still rather fearful to her imagination this evening as her musing eye watched them rise and fall her childish fancy likened them to the upspringing chances of life uncertain unstable alike too much for her skill and her strength to manage she was not more helpless before the attacks of the one than of the other but then that calm blue heaven that hung over the sea it was like the heaven of power and love above her destinies only this was far higher and more pure and abiding he knoweth them that trust in him there shall not a hair of your head perish not these words perhaps but something like the sense of them was in little fleda's head mr carleton coming up saw her gazing out upon the water with an eye that seemed to see nothing elfie are you looking into futurity no yes not exactly said fleda smiling no yes and not exactly said he throwing himself down beside her what does all that mean i wasn't exactly looking into futurity said fleda what then Don't tell me you were thinking, I know that already. What? Fleda was always rather shy of opening her cabinet of thoughts. She glanced at him and hesitated, and then yielded to a fascination of eye and smile that rarely failed to its end. Looking off to the sea again, as if she had left her thoughts there, she said, I was only thinking of that beautiful hymn of Mr. Newton's. What hymn? that long one, the Lord will provide. Do you know it? Tell it to me, Elfie. Let us see whether I shall think it beautiful. Fletta knew the whole, and repeated it. Though troubles assail, and dangers affright, though friends should all fall and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us whatever betide, the scripture assures us the Lord will provide the birds without barn or storehouse are fed from them let us learn to trust for our bread his saints what is fitting shall never be denied so long as tis written the lord will provide his call we obey like abraham of old not knowing our way but faith makes us bold and though we are strangers we have a good guide and trust in all dangers the Lord will provide. We may, like the ships in tempest, be tossed on perilous deeps but cannot be lost. Though Satan enrages the wind and the tide, the promise engages, the Lord will provide. When Satan appears to stop up our path and fills us with fears, we triumph by faith. He cannot take from us Though oft he has tried, this heart-cheering promise, the Lord will provide. He tells us we are weak, our hope is in vain. The good that we seek we never shall obtain, but when such suggestions our spirits have tried, this answers all questions, the Lord will provide. No strength of our own, or goodness we claim, but since we have known the Saviour's great name, in this our strong tower for safety we hide the lord is our power the lord will provide when life sinks apace and death is in view this word of his grace shall comfort us through no fearing nor doubting with christ on our side we hope to die shouting the lord will provide guy listened very attentively to the whole He was very far from understanding the meaning of several of the verses, but the bounding expression of confidence and hope he did understand, and did feel. Happy to be so deluded, he thought, I almost wish I could share the delusion. He was gloomily silent when she had done, and little Fleda's eyes were so full that it was a little while before she could look towards him and ask in her gentle way, do you like it mr carleton she was gratified by his grave yes but elfie said he smiling again you have not told me your thoughts yet what had these verses to do with the sea you were looking at so hard nothing i was thinking said fleda slowly that the sea seemed something like the world i don't mean it was like but it made me think of it and I thought how pleasant it is to know that God takes care of his people. Don't he take care of everybody? Yes, in one sort of way, said Fleda. But then it is only his children that he has promised to keep from everything that will hurt them. I don't see how that promise is kept, Elfie. I think those who call themselves so meet with as many troubles as the rest of the world, and perhaps more. Yes, said Fleda quickly they have troubles but then god won't let the troubles do them any harm a subtle evasion thought mr carleton where did you learn that elfie the bible says so said fleda well how do you know it from that aid mr carleton impelled he hardly knew whether by his bad or his good angel to carry on the conversation why said fleda looking as if it were a very simple question and mr Carleton were catechizing her you know mr Carleton, the bible was written by men who were taught by god exactly what to say so there could be nothing in it that is not true how do you know those men were so taught the bible says so a child's answer but with a child's wisdom in it not learnt of the schools he that is of god heareth god's words to little Fleda, as to every simple and humble intelligence, the Bible proved itself. She had no need to go further. Mr. Carleton did not smile, for nothing would have tempted him to hurt her feelings. But he said, though conscience did not let him do it without a twinge, "'But don't you know, Elfie, there are some people who do not believe the Bible?' "'Ah, but those are bad people,' replied Fleda quickly.' All good people believe it. A child's reason again, but hitting the mark this time. Unconsciously, little Fleda had brought forward a strong argument for her cause. Mr. Carleton felt it, and rising up that he might not be obliged to say anything more, he began to pace slowly up and down the deck, turning the matter over. Was it so, that there were hardly any good men? he thought there might be a few, who did not believe in the Bible and uphold its authority? And that all the worst portion of society was comprehended in the other class? And if so, how had he overlooked it? He had reasoned most unphilosophically, from a few solitary instances that had come under his own eye, but applying the broad principle of induction it could not be doubted that the Bible was on the side of all that is sound, healthful, and hopeful in this disordered world, and whatever might be the character of a few exceptions, it was not supposable that a wide system of hypocrisy should tell universally for the best interests of mankind. Summoning history to produce her witnesses, as he went on with his walk up and down, he saw with increasing interest what he had never seen before. That the bible had come like the breath of spring upon the moral waste of mind that the ice-bound intellect and cold heart of the world had waked into life under its kindly influence and that all the rich growth of the one and the other had come forth at its bidding and except in that sun-lightened tract the world was and had been a waste indeed doubtless in that waste intellect had at different times put forth sundry, barren shoots, such as a vigorous plant can make in the absence of the sun, but also like them immature, unsound, and groping vainly after the light, in which alone they could expand and perfect themselves, ripening no seed for future and richer growth. And flowers the wilderness had none, the affections were stunted and overgrown. All this was so. How had he overlooked it? His unbelief had come from a thoughtless, ignorant, one-sided view of life and human things. The disorder and ruin which he saw, where he did not also see the adjusting hand at work, had led him to refuse his credit to the supreme fabricator. He thought the waste would never be reclaimed, and did not know how much it already owed to the sun of Revelation. But what was the waste where the light had not been? Mr. Carleton was staggered he did not know what to think he began to think he had been a fool poor little fleda was meditating less agreeably the while with the sure tact of truth she had discerned that there was more than jest in the questions that had been put to her she almost feared that mr carleton shared himself the doubts he had so lightly spoken of and the thought gave her great distress however "'When he came to take her down to tea with all his usual manner, "'Fleda's earnest look at him ended in the conviction "'that there was nothing very wrong under that face. "'For several days Mr. Carleton pondered the matter "'of this evening's conversation, characteristically restless, "'till he had made up his mind. "'He wished very much to draw Fleda to speak further upon the subject, "'but it was not easy. "'She never led to it he sought in vain an opportunity to bring it in easily and at last resolved to make one Elfie said he one morning when all the rest of the passengers were happily engaged at a distance with the letter-bags i wish you would let me hear that favourite hymn of yours again i like it very much fleda was much gratified and immediately with great satisfaction repeated the hymn "'its peculiar beauty struck him yet more the second time than the first. "'Do you understand those two last verses?' said he, when she had done. "'Fleda said, yes, rather surprised. "'I do not,' he said gravely. "'Fleda paused a minute or two, and then finding that it depended on her to enlighten him, "'said in her modest way, "'Why, it means that we have no goodness of our own.' and only expect to be forgiven and taken to heaven for the Saviour's sake. Mr. Carleton asked, How for his sake? Why, you know, Mr. Carleton, we don't deserve to go there, and if we are forgiven at all it must be for what he has done. And what is that, Elfie? He died for us, said Fleda, with a look of some anxiety into Mr. Carleton's face. Died for us? And what end was that to serve Elfie? said he, partly willing to hear the full statement of the matter, and partly willing to see how far her intelligence could give it. Because we are sinners, said Fleda, and God has said that sinners shall die. Then how can he keep his word and forgive at all? Because Christ has died for us, said Fleda eagerly, instead of us. Do you understand the justice of letting one take the place of others? He was willing, Mister Carleton," said Fleda, with a singular wistful expression that touched him. Still, Elfie," said he, after a minute's silence, "how could the ends of justice be answered by the death of one man in the place of millions? No, Mister Carleton, but he was God as well as man." "'Fleda said, with a sparkle in her eye, which perhaps delayed her companion's rejoinder. "'What should induce him, Elfie,' he said gently, "'to do such a thing for people who had displeased him? "'Because he loved us, Mr. Carleton. "'She answered with so evident a strong and clear appreciation of what she was saying, "'that it half made its way into Mr. Carleton's mind by the force of sheer sympathy.' her words came almost as something new. Certainly Mr. Carleton had heard these things before, though perhaps never in a way that appealed so directly to his intelligence and his candour. He was again silent an instant, pondering, and so was Fleda. "'Do you know, Elfie,' said Mr. Carleton, "'there are some people who do not believe that the Saviour was anything more than a man.' "'Yes, I know it,' said Fleta it is very strange why is it strange because the bible says it so plainly but those people hold i believe that the bible does not say it i don't see how they could have read the bible said fleda why he said so himself who said so jesus christ don't you believe it mr carleton she saw he did not and the shade that had come over her face was reflected in his before he said no but perhaps i shall believe it yet elfie he said kindly can you show me the place in your bible where jesus says this of himself fleda looked in despair she hastily turned over the leaves of her bible to find the passages he had asked for and mr Carleton was cut to the heart to see that she twice was obliged to turn her face from him and brush her hand over her eyes before she could find them she turned to Matthew 26, verses sixty-three, sixty-four, 64, and 65, and without speaking, gave him the book pointing to the passage. He read it with great care, and several times over, You are right, Elfie, he said. I do not see how those who honour the authority of the Bible and the character of Jesus Christ can deny the truth of his own declaration. If that is false, so must those be. "'Fleda took the Bible and hurriedly sought out another passage. "'Grandpa showed me these places,' she said, "'once when we were talking about Mr. Diddenhover. "'He didn't believe that. "'There are a great many places,' Grandpa said, "'but one is enough. "'She gave him the latter part of the twentieth chapter of John. "'You see, Mr. Carlton, "'he let Thomas fall down and worship him and call him God, "'and if he had not been, you know, "'God is more displeased with that than with anything.' "'With what, Elfie? "'With men's worshipping any other than himself. "'He says he will not give his glory to another.' "'Where is that?' "'I am afraid I can't find it,' said Fleda. "'It is somewhere in Isaiah, I know.' She tried in vain, and failing, then looked up in Mr. Carleton's face to see what impression had been made. "'You see, Thomas believed when he saw,' said he, answering her. I will believe, too, when I see. Ah, if you wait for that, said Fleda. Her voice suddenly checked, she bent her face down again to her little Bible, and there was a moment's struggle with herself. Are you looking for something more to show me? said Mr. Carleton kindly, stooping his face down to hers. Not much, said Fleda hurriedly, and then, making a great effort, She raised her head and gave him the book again. Look here, Mr. Carlton. Jesus said, Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Mr. Carlton was profoundly struck, and the thought recurred to him afterwards and was dwelt upon. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. It was strange at first, and then he wondered that it should ever have been so his was a mind peculiarly open to conviction peculiarly accessible to truth and his attention being called to it he saw faintly now what he had never seen before the beauty of the principle of faith how natural how reasonable how necessary how honourable to the supreme being how happy even for man that the grounds of his trust in god being established his acceptance of many other things, should rest on that trust alone. Mr. Carlton now became more reserved and unsociable than ever. He wearied himself with thinking. If he could have got at the books, he would have spent his days and nights in studying the evidences of Christianity. But the ship was bare of any such books, and he never thought of turning to the most obvious of all, the Bible itself his unbelief was shaken it was within an ace of falling in pieces to the very foundation or rather he began to suspect how foundationless it had been it came at last to one point with him if there were a god he would not have left the world without a revelation no more would he have suffered that revelation to defeat its own end by becoming corrupted or alloyed if there was such revelation It could be no other than the Bible, and his acceptance of the whole scheme of Christianity now hung upon the turn of a hair. Yet he could not resolve himself. He balanced the counter-doubts and arguments on one side and on the other, and strained his mind to the task. He could not weigh them nicely enough. He was in a maze, and seeking to clear and calm his judgment that he might see the way out, it was in vain that he tried to shake his dizzied head from the effect of the turns it had made. By dint of anxiety, to find the right path, reason had lost herself in the wilderness. Fleda was not, as Mr. Carlton had feared she would be, at all alienated from him by the discovery that had given her so much pain. It wrought in another way, rather to add a touch of tender and anxious interest to the affection she had for him, It gave her, however, much more pain than he thought. If he had seen the secret tears that fell on his account, he would have been grieved, and if he had known of the many petitions that little heart made for him, he could hardly have loved her more than he did. One evening Mr. Carleton had been a long while pacing up and down the deck, in front of little Fleda's nest, thinking and thinking, without coming to any end. It was a most fair evening, near sunset, the sky without a cloud except two or three little dainty strips which set off its blue. The ocean was very quiet, only broken into cheerful mites of waves that seemed to have nothing to do but sparkle. The sun's rays were almost level now, and a long path of glory across the sea led off towards his sinking disk. Fleda sat watching and enjoying it, all in her happy fashion which always made the most of everything good and was especially quick in catching any form of natural beauty mr carleton's thoughts were elsewhere too busy to take note of things around him fleda looked now and then as he passed at his gloomy brow wondering what he was thinking of and wishing that he could have the same reason to be happy that she had in one of his turns his eye met her gentle glance and vexed and bewildered as he was with study, there was something in that calm, bright face that impelled him irresistibly to ask the little child to set the proud scholar right. Placing himself beside her, he said, "'Elfie, how do you know there is a God? What reason have you for thinking so, out of the Bible?' It was a strange look little Fleda gave him. He felt it at the time, and he never forgot it. Such a look of reproach, sorrow, and pity, he afterwards thought, as an angel's face might have worn. The question did not seem to occupy her a moment. After this answering look, she suddenly pointed to the sinking sun and said, Who made that, Mr. Carleton? Mr. Carleton's eyes, following the direction of hers, met the long bright rays whose still witness bearing was almost too powerful to be borne. The sun was just dipping majestically into the sea, and its calm self-assertion seemed to him at that instant hardly stronger than its vindication of its author. A slight arrow may find the joint in the armour before which many weightier shafts have fallen powerless. Mr. Carlton was an unbeliever no more from that time. End of chapter 11